0: you're now tuned into another episode of The Underground. Each week, we dive into what it means to create, nurture, and live in communities everywhere. This is The Underground with Ryan Moore and Justin Long Carrick. Welcome welcome to another episode of the Underground podcast. My name is Justin and I'm with Ryan. What's up, bud? You know my kids are saying that to me all the time now. What's up, bud? What's up, bud? They're saying that all the time to me. It's like an ongoing thing. I walk in the door and they'll be like, "What's up, bud?"
1: I kind <laughs> of I kind of turned it into my thing into yeah. my intro here, but if you if you knew me before the podcast, it is something. It's not unique to me. I Stole Mine, what's it, what's up, bud? He stole him, bud. <laughs> hey, I'm a well, I'm a hockey player, right? Like, I mean, of that's just, everyone's bud, right? The, the kids up, love it.
0: Just put it that way. So, my kids, whenever we listen to it in the car, they they rag me about it after all the time.
1: So, well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to appeal to the younger demographic, the younger audience. So, I hear the pond is getting a little bit more
0: notoriety.
1: Yeah, we actually uh, so. Obviously, it's it's. I can't take uh, all the, the sunshine on this one. Darnell Nurse is having an amazing year this year for the Edmonton Oilers. If you don't follow hockey, Darnell plays for the Edmonton Oilers, and he is in the race for the Norris Trophy, which is the best defenseman in the NHL. Um, so, yeah, he has been with us. If you don't know, um, I'm sure I have brought it up many times in this podcast, but Darnell has been with us at the Pond since he was seven years old. And this past summer, he took a focus on his skating. He wanted to improve his skating and really take his game to the next level. So he focused um, very, very intently with my sister, Michelle, on the skating front and trying to improve his speed that way. But it is the article. We we just got an article out in the Hockey News on Darnell's race for the Norris Trophy. And it outlines his development process from seven years old at the pond all the way to his focus last year with us so yeah I haven't got a chance to read it I was just given the outline from my sister and some pictures so I'm anxious to read I'm gonna read it right after this podcast is done it this you had to you had to actually we had to change the time
0: of a recording for a podcast for this so this was a big deal for you
1: not this one. That one's coming out later. That's oh. a different article. Oh, so you got more <laughs> yeah. stuff
0: going on. Where was this article then? Tell me where it was again.
1: This one is for uh, Sports Illustrated and the uh, Hockey News. And then the other article that I had to change the time of a podcast recording for was for The Athletic. Right, And then, yeah. And then we'll be having a couple more articles coming out with uh, Sportsnet and we have another one coming out with TSN and Bardown. I mean, Wow. This is the thing. I'm just going to ride on the coattails
0: of a potentially famous scenario. And I'll just, I'll be happy to, you know, like an entourage. I'll be one of those guys.
1: Now, yes. Now it's, (laughs) it's the thing is, is we're happy with the attention it gives us. Like, obviously we're happy, but this is Darnell. This is Darnell's accomplishment. He is the player. We've given him tools and we've helped him find this success but at the end of the day, it comes down to him and his abilities. So without Darnell, there is none of this. And we're just happy he walked. We're happy his dad, Richard Nurse, brought him to us at seven years old. Let's just put it that way. And the rest is history. I love that attitude. Well,
0: why don't we uh, jump straight into our um, our guest? And uh, we can uh, introduce uh, Joel McLeod. McLeod. Yep. Welcome, Joel McLeod has a podcast called The 905er, and I've been listening to a few episodes. And if you want to know about what's going on and dig deep into some of the ongoing things relating to politics and events, and I don't know, all kinds of cool stuff with regards to the city, mm-hmm. you're going to want to listen to The 905er because they dig in deep. And not only that, they actually create change in the community with some of the efforts that they put forth so they've had a couple of initiatives recently or at least one initiative that i know of that they've been trying to create help create change within the city so let's talk to joel mcleod how are you today
2: doing well fellows how are you guys doing
0: good my man
1: well, I had a bit of an issue last night, but uh, me, and, <laughs> me and Justin will get into that on a different, on a different <laughs> podcast that, episode. That, but if, if I'm a little wired, yes, yeah, <laughs> if I'm a little wired, it's because I'm literally running on coffee today. I was up till three thirty in the morning last night with a bit of uh, an emergency at work, but all is good. I'll I'll, I'll finish that. We'll there.
0: tease for the next podcast. That's good. We'll tease for the next <laughs> podcast. We'll release. We'll talk about it next time. This is about so, Joel today, so.
2: Joel, what grinds your gears? (laughs) Oh, you don't, you don't have enough time on your podcast for that. Uh, yeah, no, we, 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 yeah, when there's lots, there's lots of stuff to to, to get ticked off about, but we. Well,
0: tell me about your podcast. What, what, like what, what started
2: it? Where, where did
0: you come up with the idea? And, uh, and you know, what do you do? Tell me about what you, what you love about it.
2: Well, uh, the 905 fiber is uh, myself and my co-host uh, Roland Tanner. Uh, Roland and I have known each other for oh goodness, a couple. I'm going to say almost ten years now, I'll give or take. We used to run back in local politics circles. We used to we we were both liberals, uh, both federally and provincially. We were liberal members. I used to work for the Ontario Liberal Party. Roland was a, a volunteer here in in Burlington, and we we just like our, our circles were just overlapping. We we shared a lot of the same same ideas and same same interests, and we always used to kind of show up in the same political campaigns, volunteering and, and whatnot. After a while, that that side that side just kind of fell to the background. But we were we've always said that there was a kind of seemed to be a lack of issue based journalism here in. Burlington, Halton, the 905 region. It, if you take a step back and you look at it, I mean, primarily it's uh, Torstar Media that operates. You know, they, they own Inside Halton and all the newspapers that operate here. It's, it's just one company that operates. We said that, that was a problem that we had. Not, not that we're bashing Torstar, but just competition is good. Competition. It just it, we need more more opinions. And so the pandemic hit and we're sitting around doing nothing and we're, we got to talking and said, you know, why don't, we just, why don't we just do it? Why don't we figure it out? And we talked about it. How are we going to do it? What are, we, what's the format going to be? And ultimately a uh, long story short, we ended up settling on a podcast format and honestly it's, it's worked out really, really well for us. Uh, surprisingly a lot better than we thought it was going to be.
1: One thing I know is that a lot of people were taking inside Halton for the information that they were providing, especially for the pandemic with regards to outbreaks and hot spots, all all those kind of like hot topics with, with COVID. And the one problem I, I saw in that was it was a little bit biased. It was a little bit skewed and people were taking this information at face value that this was a government fact. And I always would take a step back when people presented me with those articles, I would take a step back and say, okay, yes, but this is a, this is a journalist doing an article, they're objective and they have Mm -hmm. uh, a viewpoint here. So fact check what you're, what you're, what you're reading here because, or see, is it sensationalized or is anything there? Because it was not a government news source. Well, that's what I
0: was going to say. I find Inside Halton very sensationalizing. Yeah. Well,
2: that's, that's one thing that we, we, we agreed with. I mean, your your, your point about the COVID, like hotspots. You know, oh, what neighborhood has the most COVID cases? We, we, well, we said. Roll and I were, were were talking about this one day. We said, "What's the point of this article? Like, what what do I get? It like, do I just say, okay, I don't drive into Alton Village for the next month? Like, <laughs> yeah. do, do I do I do I do I see clear out of this neighborhood or that neighborhood? And then, like, it, it doesn't get to like why." Nobody talked about well why are the numbers so high in mm. this neighborhood and that to mm-hmm. me that's the story that's 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 the something I want to know is it and it, I mean when you get into it a lot of the cases it was because a lot of these people are still working and commuting and or and uh, you we know, also found that some of the some of these communities have a lot of kids in the neighborhood like they, they have a lot of young families and this was this was back when you know th- this part of this angle was, was dumbed down we now know it to be a but COVID nineteen was in schools. Kids mm-hmm. did get it, pass it along, pass it to their parents, and their parents got sick. Kids not necessarily so, but we did know that COVID nineteen was in the school system. And if you look at a lot of these neighborhoods, like, oh, the it's, the numbers are so high. Well, if you also look at well, what are the schools in it? You say, Well, yeah, they got like three schools in the in this area. Put two and two together, and yeah. that's what you know, that's what's going on here. And they didn't talk about that, that angle of the story.
0: But there was also no other comparison to what would be considered a bad outbreak versus like, it really seemed like, mm-hmm. whoa, these are terrible. But when you really kind of spread it across the board to other neighborhoods, Toronto, for example, mm-hmm. in different areas, there are really much more serious outbreaks happening in those areas so focusing right. on the negative side of it, sensationalizing a few numbers and a few percentages without any context of anything else doesn't seem to be very, I don't well, know,
1: straightforward. Well, for example, my neighborhood got labeled by Inside Halton a hotspot neighborhood. And I was outside talking to my neighbors like, do you know anyone who's saying they have COVID? Like, are any of our neighbors here have COVID? And we couldn't find anyone who had COVID, What it turned out being is, I live across the street from a retirement home, right? And the and the retirement home had an outbreak, so all of a sudden my neighborhood got labeled a hotspot neighborhood. And the article had no mention of that, right? So I live in a hotspot neighborhood. Meanwhile, it's isolated inside of a retirement home (laughs) that has security and alarms when they leave,
2: (laughs) like right. And that again, that's a that's a bigger story of the long term care homes of that why why did it take a basically until the vaccine arrived for us to get that under control mm. Which some of the stories that we covered, we covered just what it was like for the families of those uh, people who were in, not, not necessarily in long-term cares, but underneath the legis- like the, the policies that govern long-term care homes, because right. everybody thought, Oh, the long-term care homes. Okay. It's just for old people that also group homes for people with developmental needs or special needs. They're also covered underneath this policy. So you had, Basically, families were were divided because like you you and I could go for a walk in the in the park. If you want to go and have driveway beers with your, you know your 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 neighbors? You could do it. These people weren't able to. They there were was very mismatched policies that you would just you, when you sit down and talk like this makes no sense. And yeah, it was, it was crazy.
0: What So what is the dry? I don't understand. Here's something that I don't understand. Maybe we can hash this out and come up with solutions right here, right now. But I don't understand why this wishy-washy, flip-floppy, back-and-forth kind of attitude towards this whole thing. Why didn't someone from the beginning come up with a, here's what we're going to do to curb this thing right away? Was it just that there was not enough information out there from a governmental level? Which seems not, that doesn't seem like that could be possible but it really feels like in Ontario, especially because we've had this discussion before, Rob Ford as a whole is a, the, the conservative Doug government, uh, Doug Ford, Rob Ford's the other guy. Sorry. Doug Ford is a, <laughs> is a, the conservative government as a whole has a lot of good policy for small business and so on. So for them to flip flop, wishwash back and forth about, you know, shutting down and not shutting down and so on, doesn't make sense because their whole you know, sort of platform is small business and things like that. So I would I would suggest that, you know, for him to have to do this is killing him. He's, he's not going to win another election based on the way this has gone, I would guess. But what's with all the flip-flopping? Why wasn't there just some direction taken and someone sticking to a plan and going with it? Is it all political? Like people just don't want to make a full decision to piss off this whole other section of people. What's the story there?
2: I, I, I mean I I'm not in the I'm not in the room uh, where no, the decisions are are made, but from what I gathered, I think that what you just the point that you just made, Justin, is pretty much bang on. I mean if you if you if you flash back, if you remember back when the spring thing first started happening, Mar- March of twenty twenty, you know, the, the government was the government got a lot of praise. They were they, they shut everything down. They just said we don't know what's going on. We don't have enough information, we just know it's it's super contagious. It's super deadly. Just shut everything down. We'll figure it out as we go. But right now, we just need to pause everything, stay at home, don't do anything. Okay. And he got a lot of support for it. I, myself, I said, like, why? Wow, you know, he's doing the right thing. He's showing the right kind of leadership. Where we noticed things starting to slowly go to, go off the rails was during that summer when, you know, the numbers, were, the numbers came down, sunshine was out. And we realized, okay, yeah, we can we can go outside, you know, going for going in the in the park, going for a walk, talking with your neighbors outside on the, on the patio or on the, on the driveway. That seems to be okay. We can we can do that. And it just kind of this. If you remember, like there was like this victory tour, right? He's going around, he's making all these announcements. Oh, we're going to fund this, this. It's kind of sad you're like, okay, we beat it, you know, <laughs> yeah, hands done, we're yeah. we're done, we're good, you know, good job, everybody. Give yourself a pat on the back, take a five take a fiber except that the scientists were saying no this is the this is the calm before the storm mm. um we we know like we know that these viruses just die down during the warm summer months that the heat kills it. it you know everybody's outside so the transmission rate is lower it's it's a pause before the storm and then lo and behold yeah we'll go back we go back into back in the fall and those numbers start coming back up again and it just seemed that they lost track of the plot after that point. I me mean, it just seemed like there was a constant case of you know we're, we're trying to they're trying to stay ahead of it, but they really did not have a plan, and that's all what it comes down to. i don't i I personally do not believe that there was a plan mm. on and where, where I where I'm basing this from is we're in the third wave, right, and which by the way,
0: everyone expected. I'll be honest. Yeah. I saw early on when they talked about the comparisons to the Spanish flu, I saw the, the graph of the Spanish flu and there were three waves in the Spanish flu. Yeah. So I, but it's, it, it wasn't like this was unexpected to some extent.
2: Well, what got me that there was no plan was the fact that they, they said, okay, we're in the third wave. We need to have, we need to sit down with the cabinet and have a discussion over what to do next. I'm like this is the third time, guys. Like, <laughs> why why are you just going to the foot, going to the drawer and say, "Okay, guys, take the plan off the shelf and uh, <laughs> yeah. you know redo." <laughs> here you go. Just do just do this. We, this is the third time we figured it out by now. We're pretty sure this way is going to work. Mm. They had to have like a like a, a, a day long cabinet meeting to discuss. Well, what do we you know what do we close? What do we not close? And I, that's when I realized you guys do not have a plan. Like, mm. there's no there's no protocol of okay these businesses stay closed, these businesses stay open. We're going to help you know, fun help with rent or, or costs for the small businesses that have to stay closed or, or what, like there's just no plan. And that's why we got, you know, the cops can stop us and we can't go, we can't go golfing. Uh, But you know, you know, we can all all hang out in Walmart.
0: Well, or, or yeah, or kids can crawl all over each other on the park and all kinds of, there's so many different things that don't make sense to be honest.
1: Well, one like for for me, it's I I, I don't think I want to be careful about this because they didn't. It's not like they weren't trying. They were It's not like they set out to screw everyone mm-hmm. over type of thing. Right. But looking around at the rest of the world now, hindsight is twenty twenty. Right now, I can honestly say, in my opinion, that multiple different levels and at multiple different points and tiers, that our government kind of failed in this whole COVID response. Looking at the rest of the world. And how they're responding and bouncing back, and now I'm not saying that it was like purposeful or like horrendous failure, but they didn't do what others did, and others are now in better places than Canada and Halton and and Toronto and. It's
0: interesting because you have different levels of what other people did, quote unquote. You've got, you know, an island down in the in the ocean down in south, you know, the southern hemisphere in New Zealand and Australia having locked down completely. And they've really had 40 people die out of the whole thing and we're done, you know, whatever. And then you've got the U S that went the complete other direction was like, yeah, we don't really care that much. And they tried to maybe lock some stuff down, but didn't really do much. And there's States that are for all intents and purposes, didn't do anything aside from the first lockdown. You've had how, how many half, half, a million people, like 500,000 people die. So, I mean, it's like, I mean, so that's the other extreme of like, you know, herd immunity, let's just let everybody try to get it. And then, yeah, okay, we'll vaccinate now, but it doesn't really matter at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're kind of in the middle. And the funny part about it is, is, you know, I keep hearing the argument that in Ontario, for example, we've had 8,100 deaths, And there's 14 million people. So that's like point zero 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 five percent of the population have died from COVID from, you know, from the beginning of this thing. But I still maintain that there's a level of, they did some stuff right in order for us to only have 8,000 deaths. Does that make sense? Like if we had gone the American way and just said, screw it, let's just leave everything open and yeah. Okay. We'll maybe do some social distancing here and there. I don't think we'd be in the same position today as we, as we, as we are. I think we're better off for that. Had, did they do everything right? No. Do I forgive them because there's certain precedences that we don't have yet? Like we we haven't been through this as a society in a hundred years. Okay. Mm -hmm. I forgive them for some stuff, but my biggest disappointment is it could have been better.
1: It just could have been better. That's where I'm saying the hindsight is 2020. Right. And, and you know, I'm not saying that we did nothing we we took measures to combat this but in hindsight looking at what we did it was a failing effort of mm. what we did and it it's hurting our economy and it's still hurting our economy
2: what, the one thing i never understood about it, like the, the, is the the golf course decision this time around that i never <laughs> it understood it doesn't make
0: sense because the, la- cause <laughs> the if remember,
2: I, well, but if you remember last year when they said okay we think we think we can open up golf courses we think that's going to be a safe activity to do. And they did. And what happened? Golf courses had a record year. You know, you cannot find a tee off time for the entire 2020 season. And you know what else you didn't find? You didn't find any mass outbreaks linked to golf courses. So it was like, okay, we well, you know what, that's a, that's a safe, that's a safe activity to do. And when they came back, said, Oh no, we're going to close down the golf courses. Cause it's so bad. Okay, but then why leave other stuff open? It was it, to me. it's very clear. It's a panicked move of, oh. you know, we need to do something. Okay, just you know, golf courses. We'll, we'll go with golf courses. That's, yeah. that's what we'll do.
0: Hang and on. It, Pick it out of a hat. Uh, golf courses. I, I, it was I a slap I mean, again, on
1: a I wrist, w- though, right? Like yeah. it was like, oh, you guys aren't behaving. We're closing golf courses. Well, that, that's the other
2: thing is, you know, you come, you come back and you tell you say, oh, you know, it's our fault. We don't get it. The thing is, when you do tell people. You can't do this. You can't, and you know, please do this. The, the majority of people did follow. The majority of people who said, "Okay," like the masking thing, right? At the start, everybody's like, can, "Was confused? Do we? Are we supposed to? Are we not?" When they were definitively said, "Wear your mask outside, or or wear your mask when you're in close proximity with other people," everybody complied. We, we got it. Okay, that makes sense. Got it. Doing that, check. Mm-hmm. It's when you got the one of the other episodes that we did was with Mike Gibbs, who's a uh, used to be a, f- a public health communicator, and we asked him like, why Why is this so hurting? And this, this is the problem with these pandemics is that the 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 next deadliest thing next to the disease is the communication for this. You got we have to you know you have to keep things very simple, very very straightforward, so that people say I get it. When you get into this, which you're actually like, oh, you know, th- you can have so many people in this spot, not in that spot, and the we're going to close down these small businesses, but we think we can justify keeping Walmarts and, and big box stores open. It gets confusing because people say, why why them not here? And when you, when you got people scratching their heads, when it doesn't make sense, that's when you start to lose cohesion. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that the, the numbers are going to keep coming down once we get into the, the summer months, once the weather starts getting warmer, and hopefully we start seeing that third wave finally Latin.
0: I just saw a graph yesterday and don't quote me on it, but I, it was, (laughs) this is where it gets silly. It was a graph from a government website that had been posted somewhere. So I I can't verify its source, but it did show that the hospitalizations in the last two or three days had gone down significantly. Um, The
2: the numbers, the numbers are going that way mm -hmm. as well. The vaccination efforts rolling out Mm -hmm. definitely seem to, to start curbing, uh, curbing spread, which is good. I mean, I'll, you know, I'm I'm optimistic we are going to get through this. I'm not I'm not worried. It's it's frustrating that the thing that you're right, we could have done better. This really could have been a chance to rise and and sh- and kind of show, show the, world, the world kind of some kind mm. of leadership of I do believe there was, I I I believe there could have been a like a middle way to keep businesses afloat while maintaining public safety. Mm. Instead, we're kind of got yin-yang, like you're rather open for as long as we can, and then we just gotta slam on the brakes and Shut everything down, and an economy can't operate that way. No,
0: yeah.
1: Well, looking through it throughout history, this is where my Canadianism comes out. And you look throughout his history, and Canadians are the can do people. We're an economic powerhouse. Yeah. We're everything, you know, we are the ones that figure shit out, right? Like we are plop us anywhere in the world, and a Canadian will be successful. So it's almost just disappointing to me that we're that as Canadians, we've been put into this situation because it's like, we're Canadian, we're better than this. Why? Like what, what is happening here? But just to, just to kind of segue out of, out of, out of COVID (laughs) a little bit, because I know people can be a little bit fatigued from, uh, from, from the COVID talk, but I was a little late actually coming to meet for this podcast video call because I was driving around outside. We're going to stay at We're in a stay-at-home order. Side note: I just
0: got a text saying that stay-at-home is going to be extended into June. I just got that text from a friend, so I can't again can't verify, but we'll have to check on the news and
1: see how that goes. That's just amazing, Justin. Breaking news on the
0: podcast today. Break it now.
1: Breaking. (laughs) Breaking. But don't um, steal my thunder, Justin. (laughs) Sorry. By the way, with the vaccinations now, this was I saw this information. It was I trust this person but do your own research. It was through social media, but uh, do your own research on this. But I heard that the Pfizer vaccine shipments are coming in en masse for the next two months, mm-hmm. and that we uh, will have the capacity to be vaccinating 140,000 people a day for the next two months. So well,
2: I, I do know in, in uh, Mississauga, they are throwing open the doors essentially to get people vaccinated. Yeah, which is I'm eligible thing. now. Uh, so
1: I'm one of the last one of the last demographic groups but what i was saying before with the traffic <laughs> to get off the coast yes COVID yes. Subject, yes go ahead uh, i think we're all a little tired of talking about <laughs> COVID. let's do it go on, traffic go on forever traffic problems let's but, do the, it the traffic and what that d- relates to is burlington's mass development burlington's population mm-hmm. has boomed and we're almost we're we're kind of stuck we have nowhere else to boom too, mm. and so there's a lot of hot topic buttons about like downtown Burlington intensifying that area. A lot of people. I was very young, so I want to know your opinion on this, Jewel. Waterdown used to be its own little village, little yes. town, and then it was amalgamated into the city of Hamilton,
0: Greater Hamilton area.
1: Yes. Now my thing is, is it's right above Aldershot, and everything yes. about the people of Waterdown, they all use Burlington services. Mm-hmm. So what what do you what do you think about that? What are your what are well, your thoughts? And you know for
0: the longest time Waterdown didn't even have a fire station and, yeah. in in Waterdown or any bus service from Hamilton either which is kind of crazy.
2: So well, what what you're touching upon was um years ago underneath the the years ago underneath I'm going to say the Mike Harris government back in the 90s early 2000s they were on this uh, kick of amalgamation where they're going to amalgamate all these towns into larger municipalities and that's what they did with hamilton they they looped in like stony creek ancaster and Waterdown into hamilton mm. and if you remember and you remember like in toronto they did the same thing they had toronto then they amalgamated etobicoke north New york scarborough yeah. and it's all became the city of toronto it's it's been a controversial move ever since i i we've we've there are people who just say like it's Hamilton is just a weird now mishmash of different. Essentially, they, it's neither qualified as as neighborhoods, but you know, Ancaster has nothing in common with the East End of Hamilton, and the <laughs> East End of Hamilton has nothing in common with Waterdown. Mm-hmm. Yet the the City Council of Hamilton is all called. Now you got to figure out how do you fund all these very different needs and niches. And you're right, and the, Waterdown has now been kind of. It's like the bastard stepchild of <laughs> Hamilton, and everybody. You're right. Everybody comes down into Burlington and they say, "Oh, we're going to go dine. We're going to go shop. We're going to, you know, go." And then there are people, and they even work. And there are people who who work in Burlington. They say, "I live in Waterdown because it's a, more affordable to buy uh, a house in Waterdown, not by much double, these days. Double
1: the taxes, though. Mm-hmm. Almost.
2: Well, that that's it. That you know." These are these are things people are weighing when they when they decide to move there. I mean, it is it's a fast growing community. It's it's mm-hmm. developed quite a lot in the last ten years or so.
0: Well, the prices certainly haven't stayed too far behind Burlington, that's for sure. So weighing the option of, well, you're gonna pay less in water down, even though right. taxes are more, doesn't always work anymore because some of the detached houses are pushing that million dollar, million five mark in that in the main subdivisions of ham or of water
1: water down there and now my theory is you know the burlington address to be able to have burlington on your address drives a house price up a little mm-hmm. bit and we because we have no room to expand and now burlington's running into a bit of problems where young people are being priced out of burlington like i my friends they can't they can't well, afford the, burlington. the, the, the like, thing
2: the thing is with water down though is you have to take into consideration property taxes mm-hmm. and not the reason that you're going to think. Those property taxes in Waterdown go to Hamilton. Yep, the city of Hamilton collects them. If all of a sudden one day Waterdown is all of a sudden cut off from Hamilton and it is merged into the city of Burlington, like Burlington's going to have a huge influx of property taxes in one one fiscal year. That's a huge. Like think about what Burlington could do, like you know, infrastructure, transit, you know, municipal projects, all sorts of stuff. It's, it's a big influx. Same as it's a big influx into. Hamilton, it's that's the one. The problem is, is with these, these amalgamation projects. They sound good on paper, right? Mm-hmm. And you just have somebody in, a, in an office somewhere saying, "Oh, you know uh, that that city and that city, okay, well that that's now one one municipality." It doesn't necessarily work on paper, mm-hmm. and that's why this. I think you see so many of these anti-amalgamation movements that you know cities are unique. They have their own unique feel. They're a unique issues and you can't just loop them in with everyone else.
1: Well, and now Burlington's running into issues of, we have nowhere to expand to. Yeah. So, so there's conservation,
0: there's conservation on the top end of town that doesn't allow for expansion above Dundas. So you're not really going to see any, like in Oakville where they were, you know, doing all those subdivisions above Dundas. There's just less, there's more, there's sorry, there's more restriction above Dundas in Burlington. And then of course you've got the mayor who has, stymied downtown intensification to some extent, if I'm not mistaken, because I have a few builder friends downtown that have had run into that issue. And so, yeah, there's very few places to be able to expand Burlington to at this point. So, I mean, not to say that they have to take water down on as a, you know, their lovely little stepchild, but, you know, one of the things to consider, I just want to say this and then Joel, you know, jump into your point, but a lot of the a lot of the infrastructure that Burlington has around Waterdown is used by Waterdown folks. So like a lot of the roads, like a lot of the stress and pressure on the on the traffic coming in and out of the roads come from Waterdown into Burlington and yet they pay Hamilton taxes. If you understand what I mean. So mm-hmm. it's like it's like I'm going to come and live at your house 6 days a week. You know, and, pay and, your then, neighbors and taxes, and, and then, but I'll go back and, and, and pay my taxes over here. Right. Yeah. And, but your house is getting beat up for me living in it and so on and so forth, but I'm going to go and pay taxes over somewhere else. It just doesn't, anyway, it doesn't make sense to me. Anyhow.
2: It, you're right. It doesn't make sense. And it's, but it's kind of one of the problems that we have with all the way our cities are all lined up. up. Like yeah. you, you know, we can't have a clear borders, but, uh, but what I was going to say about water down is I, at this point, I don't, think it'll matter if you cut water down away from Hamilton and give it to Burlington. Uh, I don't think it'll, you'll you'll get like one good year of property taxes, like a a good surprise influx of property taxes into the city coffers, but that's it. Mm. And the reason why this is, as you just said, Rick, we've hit our wall. We've, We've hit the, we're hitting the green belt in terms of development and we can't go any further past that. Which means, ultimately, no matter what, we've got to build up. We, we, need, we are going to need to put in more high-rises throughout the city. Now, where they go and what they look like and, and how, how tall, that's, that's the debate. But this notion of, oh, we're just going to stop all high-rise development, I don't, I don't see that, that holding mustard in the, in the long term. No, Heck, even in the short term.
0: Not at all. No, I can't. And, and, but now that being said, I will also jump on the side of, I've lived in Burlington all my life. Like I was born in uh, Oakville Trafalgar, lived in South Burlington in a crappy apartment with my parents when I was born, ended up in a, in a house downtown, right off of, right near the St. John's and central school there. So I've lived in Burlington all my life. I have seen the traffic increase immensely just by being here. Like you, every year there's just new, it's just, more and more and more. I remember driving up to upper middle road and up to drop our dog off at Holly's pride, which by the way is closed now because they're developing it into condos or something. And that was like driving into an apple orchard. And now there's all these houses up there. I'm not complaining about the development, but what I am complaining is about is the, the idea of, I feel like there needs to be more effort put into traffic flow. Yeah. Cause there's just not a really good plan in place right now from the North to the South going East West. Isn't terrible unless there's a traffic accident on the highway, but going North South is just the worst right now. Trying to go up Appleby line. And I don't understand. I, I don't know what the, what the answer is to that because I know Hamilton has some, you know, great ideas of like bang, 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 all the lights go all at once. I, I'm not smart enough to know. Ryan has some, strategic planning in his past. I got,
1: well, so, and yeah, and my, my one thing that I think right away is a pretty simple, obviously this is tax dollars, but a pretty simple initiative that would be exceptional for our traffic flow is right turning lanes. At intersections, just up Appleby line, create just a little like three car right turning lane. There is space. We have the median there. There's the median grass. Now all of a sudden cars turning right have a place to collect when someone's crossing the road. During rush hour, you get one person cross the road at Appleby line during rush hour. The whole right lane has to stop and wait for that person to cross the road. Meanwhile, you have 80 cars building up behind it. The other thing was like what Justin said is we, we put a condo building up and, and yeah, okay, that's people going in. But conservatively, that's 70 cars at that intersection that now have, have to exit every morning for work that like that's an that's a significant amount like mm-hmm. imagine 70 homes in a neighborhood what the traffic would create with mm-hmm. that so that's where i'm saying like these turning lanes and dedicated more not necessarily widened roads and stuff because there's the theory if you widen the road it works for a little bit but then it will just get filled in with people discovering that's hey there's a, a road not, here that's
2: not a theory that's a fact <laughs> yeah. they
1: they have they have
2: no they have study that yeah like the sidebar like the, we've sorry that we've talked about the highway 413 which would be going up but actually ending just in here in Burlington or North Halton. The, the idea was like, Oh, it's going to save all this time on traffic. Mm-hmm. Well, no, they they did the study said, no, at the best, at best, we be save like a minute off your commute. Yeah. You know? And, and so this notion of like, Oh, we need to widen our, our roads. We need to add more roadways or whatnot. is a bit of a fallacy. You're the, the right turning lanes. I'd be interested in seeing the study done on that. I think that there's some merit to it. What, I don't think it's any one solution. Like we, we you need to kind of have a, a, a stack deck in your favor. Part of it is we need better transit. We need we need to encourage people to be able to use buses in Burlington. Like we we we, we kind of have this mentality here of we're we're this small town, so we, you know we we got a couple buses. That's it. Like no, we're 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 closing in on two hundred thousand people. Just in Burlington alone. Yeah. The, buses
0: I mean, at, the buses are well, empty. The buses are empty. You right? watch them it's, driving around, there's two people on a bus. First of all, that costs a lot of money to run and nobody's using it. Mm-hmm. Right. And second of all, right. nobody's using
1: it. So there are more cars. And then at, well, at and then at 7 a.m., Appleby Line from Alton Village to the Appleby GO station is just a mm-hmm. line of cars <laughs> yeah. going down Appleby Line right. to the GO station. So,
2: you know, you, you ask, like, why wouldn't you go to uh, a city like Mississauga, or yes, even Toronto, and say, why wouldn't you dedicate a, a you know, an express line? Like, you, you know where people are living. You know that people live in Alton Village and in the Orchard, orchard. Uh, and they're commu- They're going down to the Albuquerque Station to commute. Okay, so dedicate a, a couple of stops up in that area to say, yeah, all, the, all you guys... Get on the on the buses. We're just going to have buses that you don't stop anywhere else on Appleby. You just take them from Alton Village in the Orchard down to the Appleby Go Station and they get off and you just that's all these buses do for the, you know, two or three hours in the morning.
1: That was I had I had that idea as well. I I was like, you know what? Create a little bus hub at Walmart up there at Highway 5 and and a Walmart would love it because now you're getting people coming to your parking lot every day. Oh, convenience. I can just run into Walmart and grab something
0: and the McDonald's coffee in there
1: and a McDonald's. Every, <laughs> hey, got, it, it's, it's all right there. They have everything is in that plaza. And so create a bus stop there that from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. every day is running every 15 minutes to the go station. Mm-hmm. Like from absolutely. there to the go and back. That's it. But and then that, from four o'clock to six o'clock, the same thing. And you can dedicate it elsewhere around the city for the rest of the day. Just for those two time periods, just focus on getting that, that work done.
2: That, absolutely. And it, the, the one of the things that we've talked about on, on the Nano fiber was, um, you know, we're, we're, and I don't want to, I don't want to belittle, you know, don't come back to the pandemic, but this is something that we've noticed is that the pandemic has changed a lot of what we took for granted. We assume, we, we, we always assume we're going to need cars to get around. We assume, Oh, we're going to need to, you know, I'm going to need to go work in Toronto. And we realized, no, I don't need to do that anymore. My, my downtown Bay street job working in finance or in a law firm or, or wherever I can do that at my home in Burlington. You no, know, we, we, we're right now we're doing this on a zoom call. They realize that we I can do this. I might only need to go into Toronto maybe once a week, to mm-hmm. meet a client to, 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 you know, to have a, a strategy meeting or, or whatever have you, but I don't need to do that. And it's one of those things like, again, you go into like your, your, we go talk to the province. You want to talk about, you know, housing affordability. You want to talk about environmental concerns because all those cars on the highway, that's not good for our health and, and all that stuff. You know, there, there are really simple solutions. We're not talking like massive, you know, tax subsidies or, or whatnot. You just encourage business to say, have your people stay at home, cut two or three floors off your Bay street office rental and just save the boardrooms and a couple, you know, a couple of rooms for for that, and have all your people stay at home. Think of how many cars that takes off the road.
1: Yeah,
2: right. And, and that, again, you free up your congestion, and then you add in some more convenient busing services. And yeah, all of a sudden our our roads aren't so packed anymore. We're we're able to get along, get around a lot more easily than we were in the past.
1: Well, so I don't know if you guys have ever driven through Atlanta. Now, this might seem uh, far-fetched, but this is where I'm going with it. They have a HOV lane, just like we do here, except theirs is two lanes, and it's literally completely separate from the highway. It runs along the side of the highway, but they kind of just fit it in wherever they could and ran it directly along the side of the highway. And this HOV lane is one direction only in the morning, and one direction only in the afternoon. And from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., it's closed both directions. And then they open it up in the opposite direction. We have the, the space in the HOV lanes here in Burlington. We could have done something extremely similar to that. Instead, we made it so that you have to carpool, which is green initiative, I get it. But if you opened up those lanes and opened them up to pay for a permit, and you did a 407 type scanner system. Mm-hmm. Now we have a two lane highway dedicated directly to Toronto or to well, wherever it stops in Oakville there. They do, they do
2: have, they did have a lottery that, that you could enter into and you get, you basically get your, your permit. So, I mean, they did some of it. I, yeah, I agree. I, I mean, that. I,
1: they, they made, they made peanuts off that.
2: Yeah. I mean, they could, they, the problem with our, our, governments is that they tend to do things incrementally. They, like they would never jump right into that solution. They'd have mm-hmm. to prove, okay, people want to buy it. Okay. And then in theory, you just expand and instead of a lottery, you just say, okay, buy into it. We're fixing a problem over here, but we're creating
0: another one over here because these guys that once made a good living off of office space, or, you know, it might even be as something as simple as the cleaners that clean offices are not making as much money as they used to, and they're losing their jobs and so on. There, there's so much back and forth about when you change one thing, the ripple effect on something else. Right. It's, it's so interesting to get into the minutiae and dynamics of that, which actually brings you full circle to, and I don't want to talk about COVID, but the, the decisions that were that are always being made, everything fa- affects everything else. So they got to be careful, right? So
1: anyway. Well, uh, the thing that I, I, I want to tie into what Justin was saying there is, you know, it's not unique to us. Mm. These things are happening all over the world. And people are finding solutions all over the world. And just to tie it back to what we were talking about at the beginning of being Canadian, you know, like I pride myself on being problem solver, you know, the, the, we're the solution people, we're the fixers, right? Like why can't, why, why can we not take these studies from I I know that thing that I said about the highway it's Mm -hmm. in Atlanta and it's in Fort Lauderdale. I know two cities already that have it. So what's their studies? Can we, pay them to see, say, Hey, do you have studies on this? Can we see how it worked for you? Like, why has there not been, because it does work. I've driven through there and it was a dream during rush hour because it was working. And Fort Lauderdale is a very similar size to Burlington, a very different dynamic there, but. Well, it's funny you say that because you know how Lisa was on the other day on our
0: podcast from the city of Burlington. She said a lot of the initiatives that they're pulling for her culture and community groups come from other cities across Canada. So it's not like this hasn't been done before.
2: But that, that's exactly what we need to do is start, think around say, kind say, of cherry pick what works in similar communities. So, I mean, you, you, Justin, you were talking about how the rent, the commercial rental uh, market is tanking and there's all this question of what, what are you going to do? The question then is, imagine if you took some of those, that commercial property and you enabled the landlords to convert it into either condos or rental units for residential purposes. Exactly, yes. <laughs> and this, this is one of those, we had an episode with Mike Moffat, who's an economist, and he's pointing out this, he did, the, he did the numbers, he's the one who actually finally put the numbers behind what we all knew, is that we don't have enough places to live, mm-hmm. not just in Burlington, but the entire 905, and quite frankly, the entire province. We just, we have not built enough supply to meet the growing demand we have more people more immigrants moving into the into the region our birth rates have been increasing we just people need places to live we have not built those places we're now at the point where this is it's not you know a a nice to think about this is actually a very crucial for not only our economy but our our country because you're talking about wired on how the you know the average house price is 1 1 million $1. 1.5 million dollars how many people coming out of university can afford to buy that house you no know, you can't have all these kids coming out with osap debt mm-hmm. and saying okay i want to get married i want to start a family i want to have kids i also want to i'm just starting my career i'm not making boatloads of money right out the bit right at the gate i'm making a modest income i'm gonna the idea is you save and you put money and you buy a house start that is not a reality anymore you can't save on current wages and the salary to afford a one million dollar starter house doesn't work and we this is a big issue because those kids with university you know bachelor degrees master's degrees in some cases phds they're going to go down to the austin texas's they're going to go down to the States to yep. go, we're going to see another brain drain of these kids saying, I can afford a house in Austin, Texas, and I can put my degree to work and I can raise my family there. Austin's a good place to live. It's a good town, but you're going to see that you're going to see this drain of all the talent that we need here that start businesses, entrepreneurs come up with new ideas. It, it's a, it's a generational problem that we're facing, not just a real estate. It's not just a, a transit, like you're right. All this stuff is connected.
1: Mm, it really it was is disgusting. I, I looked up what I could get for my house in El Paso, Texas, <laughs> and I was disgusted. Yeah, crazy. with what with <laughs> what I could buy in El Paso, Texas. Like I would be living La Vida Loca. Like it, I, yeah. I was so dumbfounded. But it's me and Justin have talked. At length about supply and demand of the housing market. That's that's what I think it all boils down to. Just like you just outlined is we don't have the supply. We have an increasing population, which another segue from Ryan, um, pat myself on the back. But another segue for me here is the supply and demand thing. This leads me into downtown Burlington. Now, recently our mayor has I don't know too many of the details, but we were supposed to intensify our downtown. We were supposed to build up, build condos in our downtown. And a lot of people in Burlington, we have a nice downtown. A lot of people in Burlington didn't want that because it's nice. It's quaint and it has that walkability and like, it's not cavernous with big condos. There are big condos, but Mm -hmm. there's pockets of sunlight that get through. My theory here is where I think we could find a, a happy medium And this would take a lot of red tape, obviously, and a lot of restrictions and zoning. But if you've ever been to Blue Mountain Village, they've built almost, it looks like Whistler. It almost looks like a ski town. But then above it, they have four or five stories of apartments. Now, I'm not saying a four or five story apartment building, but I'm saying maybe a two story, like three story apartment building. But the storefront on ground level, you would have to put some kind of policy in that it has to be a unique looking building and offer real retail space at street level. So now these businesses that are getting pushed away, they will now have space to, to rent. We are creating housing. And now that's the other problem that I think this addresses is the fact that Summertime, go downtown, it's shoulder to shoulder people. It's it's a great time. Wintertime is a different story. There's not many people down there. And the bars take a dip in the wintertime. The restaurants, bars, all the shops, they take a dip in the wintertime. If you get a population that's permanently living there in the wintertime, you're going to increase that. So I think that is the solution. But
0: so first of all, I'll tell you the right now that the zoning downtown almost, I think as far as I remember, because I looked into this a little while ago, probably a couple of years ago now for another client of mine, the zoning downtown requires commercial below, um, residential if you decide or are able to build something. So there is a requirement for that. If you built the, the challenge becomes the price of the property downtown to buy it as a, as an, a commercial developer to do something with it. And secondly, the who owns what and how it's all cut up and everybody has to agree in order to do it. So I don't know the status of this, but I've, I've heard, for example, that the right on the corner of the South or sorry, the Northeast corner of Lakeshore has, and Brant Street has pretty much been bought up and you know development will continue will you know will start there at some point obviously we know right across from City hall they've started I just drove by the other day there's a giant hole in the ground they're do- digging the foundation now they're doing the foundation for the new building they're putting up there which will be one of the last under Mead Ward because she shut down all of that intensification as of right now and I as far as I'm aware it has not resumed I don't know if you know anything different Joel
2: uh no I mean, we've kind of kept a, an eye on that on that whole process to, uh, you're right the moratorium stands mm. which we're, i mean the, the point of the moratorium was supposed to present a, a kind of a new plan right for how burlington was going to develop that plan is still up in the air and it's still being worked on i mean that we're we're coming to year year three on that it's it, the, the you're right i mean we we I think you're both right is that, you know, we, we want to have this kind of good mix of commercial residential space. What I personally, I think this, and there's something I've said on my podcast is that the, the, we want the city not necessarily just to focus on just, Oh, resident, we want residential, we want commercial is to look at the whole community. Mm-hmm. Like what do you, what do you want the city to actually look like? You know, do you want more park space? Do you want to have more green space? Do you want to have a unique common area for people to gather and like we have spencer smith down on the waterfront it's a great place for people to gather and we have festivals and rib fests and and all that stuff and it's good that's a good thing do you want to add more to it because that to me adds live, what we call livability another thing i've always wanted to know is all these buildings going up we're in the 21st century we should have more public access for wi-fi we should have more 21st century technology in the downtown core yep. so that, you know, to your point, you're talking about uh, people going down to eat, dine, enjoy it. That's, that's an awesome idea. And that's awesome. But wouldn't it be also great to say you're going to have a working lunch, go down and yeah, I know you're going to, th- you know, you're thinking of Starbucks and the guys on, the, on laptops working on their, on their screenplays, but you might actually have somebody saying, yeah, I'll do a zoom call on the patio of a pub you know, enjoy enjoy my BLT and a pint of beer, but I can hook up to the public Wi-Fi, mm. and have it reliable, and I can do my I can do my business, enjoy the sunshine in the summer, or or do it in a pub, just get out of the house for a bit during the wintertime. time. Like, th- th- this is something I don't see happening in our public discussions. We're still pretty much in this like, oh, it's developer, bad developer, good developer, bad developer, that kind of, My, so but it's an argument that's guessing
0: I find you're going to never have anybody, Every Burlington's this weird contentious city where nobody seems to agree on everything. There's just such, I find like, you know, there's so much, mm-hmm. you've got politicians, for example, that agreed and, and wanted to put in those buildings because they understand how important the future of growth and so on is for the community and taxes and everything else. Um, and then you've got politicians that don't. So Mead ward, for example, wanted to slow it down so that we could redo and understand fine. You've got citizens that are highly opposed to intensification, right? That Mm -hmm. speak very loudly about Mm -hmm. it. And I've, I've seen it firsthand. I, I, I had a, a client who sold a property down in South Burlington. He was trying to develop into five small detached private residences on a, on a pretty big property, but it was almost like a, a like a gated five, re, five house community with these little tiny townhomes of 2000 square feet. And the, the residents came out en masse against it. Right. But the challenge I find is that on mass, they came out against it in order to get, instead of five small places where you're going to get a 50 plus demographic with hopefully no kids, cause there's only two bedrooms and you know, a bungalow style place to three, four or 5,000 square foot houses in there shoved in there now. So it doesn't, yeah. there's no rhyme or reason even, for some of the things that people want or don't want. It's so hard.
2: That, that, that argument is, that, that that argument, or sorry, that debate isn't happening just in Burlington. It's happening all over the 905. Right. You know, we're the, and this is going to one of the reasons why we did the podcast was that, I'm sure you're 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 aware of the the argument of we don't want to be like Toronto, right? We, we want to but we don't. Why do we have to look like Toronto? And, and I, my question is always why is it like small town or Toronto? Yeah. Like why 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 are those our only two options in this debate? <laughs> yeah. Why can't we figure out we want to be Burlington or we want to be the 905 region, which is something different? I don't know what, but I don't I don't buy this either or argument, and. We've seen this, you know, our, our demographics are changing. We're no longer a a strictly, you know, waspish background community. We have more more immigrants, we're more diverse, mm-hmm. we have more more cultures coming in, we're more educated. All these things play a factor in how our communities are developing. And boiling down the argument to just this like, oh, no high rise, no high rise. We're gonna knock one, you know, instead of a thirty-four-story tower we only want 32 or right, I really don't want that 30. Like that, that, the minutia of that debate tears away from the actual goal of what do we want our, our cities to look like? We want them to be 21st century, modern technologically advanced wow. friendly for families, you know, good schools at ample parks, good, good community spaces that we can have, you know, the rib fest, the, the, the sound of music festivals and all, all that stuff in between, you know, you know, I've always wondered, like, why is everything held in Spencer Smith? Like, we have, we have like, all these different parks around town. Couldn't we do something like City View Park? Wouldn't it be great to have a, a street ball or, a, you know, a street hockey tournament up up on City View Park and just spend the entire day with some, you know, you know, young kids playing street hockey, set up some food trucks, put some music. It's a good day for everyone to go and have, you know, good families have a good day, good day out. You know, these are the ideas that we don't we don't really discuss or, or debate. It's always just into this. You know, how tall do we have our, our buildings? <laughs> it's true, and it's true. And it's, it, we, we sell ourselves short, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted the podcast. That we want to have these discussions. We want to have this this debate and, and really you know figure out like what 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 could possibly be.
1: Uh, so I've just one one point I want to make here. I've never been, but all I've heard about is the Netherlands and how they're bicycles, right? They bike everywhere Ooh. and they've created this, this mobility in their country. And that's an ancient country with ancient roadways and and pathways and stuff. And they were able to do it. They were able to figure it out. It just takes a little bit of willpower and cooperation and everyone kind of coming together. So this is just a pure floated idea, but you know, it's one of those things like I was talking about right turn lanes What about a mass, like not massive, but a a wide dedicated bike lane from the top of Appleby line to the bottom of Appleby line. Now you have more people biking to the GO station, like just something as simple as that more mobility in our city. I I think the mobility issue is one of the main things that's choking us right now and choking our economy in Burlington general. And the only thing that's going to happen is we have to intensify because we have no land. So that's only going to get worse. So that has to be paid attention to now, I think, or else we're going to choke ourselves. I'm thinking, uh, Ryan, is
0: there like a co mayor with Ryan and Joel? Ryan, co- <laughs> Joel for mayor, I, Ryan for I, co I'm not, mayor. I'm not, I don't know. I'm not
2: running for political office anytime soon. <laughs> I, I would rather stay on the outside and just point out where you've all gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's um, perfect. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I do. I, Ryan's point, I think, is bang on, though, because one question I've always had is, why don't we have dedicated bike paths going from neighborhoods? Like if you think about it, you ride right a neighbor in your neighborhood, you pick up on a bike path in a park and ride a bike path down and connect you down onto like a major artery. Right. Think of like you have, we have new street here in Burlington that run and there's a bike path that runs parallel to new yep. street pretty much for the entire,
0: all the way like right the downtown city. almost. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: I was like, would it be great if you could just tie in, like if you're in, in a neighborhood, kind of tie in a bike path through a neighborhood and through parks onto that major artery and boom, now you have access to New Street and you can go like to Fortino's or, 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 or any home hardware or any place to pick up a thing on your bike and then you could easily bike back and you're not on a major road.
1: Even further than that, the hydro lines... I yeah. dissects the city from south yeah. to north.
0: Well, I'll be I mean, honest, Mall, I don't north. think enough people realize that those are there, to be honest. I think, yeah. and I think if the city put more effort into maintaining those into a more bike friendly scenario. And user-friendly scenario and made it, made an effort to, to promote those in a way that was like that. Sometimes this is just education. We've talked a lot about this. Hey, Ryan, education yeah. is the key to change. And sometimes it's just educating people as, as to what's going on there. Because if you don't know about that path or even the one in North Burlington that cuts across the hydro wires,
2: yep.
1: yeah,
0: you wouldn't necessarily think to use it it wouldn't be your first choice. It, you, you even talking, I've lived in Burlington all my life. You guys just mentioning it made me go, Oh yeah, that's there. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Like,
1: I mean, Burlington's what, like at, at its widest point, it's like what, 10 kilometers wide, like excluding Aldershot. Cause that's just a little, <laughs>
0: Aldershot's not
1: Burlington. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's where my, dad, my dad's in Aldershot. We yeah. can exclude him. <laughs> but, uh but like Burlington's what, 10 kilometers wide. So on a bicycle, that's, yeah. Actually not that bad. No. Also it keeps you in shape. Yeah. It gets cars off the road. Like there's so many solutions just with a simple bike path that would make more people willing. Because I know for me personally, one of the things I'm not getting on a bike and driving down Appleby line is cause like, I don't want to die.
2: Mm. Right.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what? This has been a snippet of what you might find, but probably <laughs> far more intelligent responses to Joel on the 905er <laughs> podcast. I really appreciate you coming on Joel and it's, I, you for know, having me. I have nothing but respect for, for your podcast and what you do and the message you bring. So we appreciate you coming on here.
2: Thank you very much for having me. All
0: right, guys. Have a good day. See ya. That was another episode of the underground. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Also, follow Justin on Facebook and see what he's up to in the real estate world at Justin long Carrick. And check out what Ryan is doing
1: on the ice at more.hockey.